Section 12 of The Kidnapping of President Lincoln and Other War Detective Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Kidnapping of President Lincoln and Other War Detective Stories by Joel Chandler Harris. The Whims of Captain McCarthy, Part 3. Number 231 was part of a brick tenement and was marked by very neat surroundings. At the moment, when the two visitors arrived, there was more of a bustle about the place than Mr. Webb deemed desirable. A large truck drawn by two heavy-built horses had backed up to the pavement opposite the adjoining number, and several stout men in blouses were standing around apparently awaiting orders. Evidently, someone was moving in or out of number 233. The door of number 231 opened promptly in response to the ringing of the bell, and Webb and Doyle were ushered into the sitting room and then into a smaller room in which was a writing desk and a chintz-covered sofa with cushioned chairs to match. As the two men disappeared, Mike, the cabman, remarked to Barney, who was now arrayed in blue overalls, "'Oh, Barney, he says he'll be out in ten minutes.' "'Did he say that now?' replied Barney, with a grin and a grimace that would have made his fortune on the vaudeville stage. "'He did, Begobs. He says them very words.' By way of comment, Barney raised his hands and let them fall again in a despairing gesture, as if there could be no hope for a man who made such offhand remarks. The room in which Webb and Doyle found themselves was, as has been already hinted, very modestly furnished.' The pictures on the wall were cheap, but, with one exception, they were fair reproductions of some of the old masterpieces. The exception was the portrait of a wonderfully beautiful young girl. Mr. Webb had a daughter, and the portrait fascinated him. Suddenly the door opposite the one by which they entered was thrown half open, and a lad with a pleasant face called out, "'He would speak with Mr. Dial.' "'Do you mean Doyle?' inquired the owner of the name. "'Sure, sir. I said Dial.' Mr. Doyle turned an inquiring eye on Mr. Webb, who, after reflecting a moment, nodded his head, and Doyle followed the lad. The door was shut after him with something like a bang. Mr. Webb had no opportunity to theorize about this bang, for the door near him opened, and Captain McCarthy entered. He greeted Mr. Webb with a cordial smile, and shook hands with an appearance of heartiness which took the detective somewhat aback. "'Why, I heard you were ill with rheumatism,' remarked Mr. Webb. "'And you thought a change of air would be good for me,' suggested Captain McCarthy, smiling. "'Well, I have heard stranger and truer things than that.' "'Did you send for Doyle just now?' inquired Webb. Never in his life did he feel less like performing a disagreeable duty. "'He was summoned from the room because I wanted to have a private conversation with you,' said McCarthy, seating himself. He regarded the portrait of the child intensely for a moment, and then turned to the detective.' "'Did it ever occur to you, sir?' he asked courteously. "'That perhaps you are after the wrong man. "'That in order to do successfully what is, for the moment, your duty, "'you should strike higher than a poor old hotel servant?' "'I have certainly had some such thought,' replied Webb. "'Nevertheless, my duty compels me.' "'At that moment, the door through which Doyle had made his exit was opened, "'and Terence Nagel came in with an apologetic smile. "'He held some papers in his hand.' The gentleman says you're welcome to these if they'll do you any good, sir. His word, sir, was that he'd see you later. 
"'Very well, my lad, whenever it suits his convenience,' remarked Captain McCarthy, taking the papers and giving a cursory examination to each. Mr. Webb, whose duty had compelled him to half rise from his seat, sank back in his chair with an exclamation of surprise. He saw that the papers which McCarthy held in his hands were the documents on which Doyle had depended to prove the charges to be brought against the head waiter, the charges on which he was to be arrested. "'Is Doyle gone?' asked Webb. "'I can best answer that by saying that the chances are you'll never see him again,' answered McCarthy. "'Has he been murdered?' cried the other, rising to his feet. "'Tut, man! Do you take me for an assassin?' If you will resume your seat and restrain your feelings, I will make the case of Mr. Doyle perfectly plain to you, and yours as well. But yours first. Would you like a glass of wine? Not at present, said Mr. Webb, suspecting poison, perhaps. As you please, remarked the head waiter. Now then, in regard to your affairs, you have a brother in the Confederate Army. That is true, I am sorry to say, responded Webb. I see no cause for weeping, said McCarthy, dryly. Now six, yes, eight months ago, this brother of yours was in prison. His health was not good, and you were anxious to secure his release. You tried every honorable plan that could suggest itself to you, and at last, when you had come to the end of your resources, your brother was still languishing. Yes, that is the word, languishing in prison. That is true, assented Mr. Webb uneasily. Well, what happened then? McCarthy asked, fixing his eyes upon the face of the detective. Mr. Webb shifted his position, and finally arose to his feet and crossed the room as if to get a nearer view of the child's portrait on the wall. "'That is my daughter,' remarked Captain McCarthy. "'She is very beautiful,' said Mr. Webb. And then there came a knock on the door, and Nora followed the knock like an echo. "'Dada!' she cried, shaking her hair away from a face in which modesty and mischief were carrying on a perpetual contest. "'Dada, the cabman is uneasy.' He says the gentleman was to keep him waiting only ten minutes. She turned to Mr. Webb with a smile and a blush. Mr. Webb, this is the little girl of the picture. Nora, darling, tell the cabman that his fare is paid and he may return at once. The gentleman will remain a little longer. The picture doesn't do her justice, said Mr. Webb. Oh, she'll never get justice this side of paradise, exclaimed Nora's father with sparkling eyes. You were saying... "'About my brother,' responded Mr. Webb, resuming his seat. "'Well, my brother is very dear to me. "'To me he is both father and brother, "'and my affection for him led me to a very dishonorable action.' "'Oh, we are not discussing principles,' interrupted Captain McCarthy. "'We shall never know the exact line of duty "'when it is a question between kindred and country "'until we get to heaven.' "'If we ever do get there,' remarked Mr. Webb. "'Certainly. "'With a great many, that is also an open question.' Well, at any rate, you owed some sort of duty to your brother. Yes, and in spite of the fact that I had a commission as an officer under the United States government, I made every effort to aid my brother to escape, and finally succeeded. The only time my conscience has been easy in the matter was when I saw him in the arms of our old mother, and heard her thank heaven that her eldest son was free once more. But how did the facts become known to you? Why, it is the simplest thing in the world. I was working to the same end, and when I had everything ready, I found that someone had interfered, and my scheme fell to pieces. But when I found what you were trying to do, I joined hands with you, and your plans were successful. Well, upon my word, exclaimed Webb. 
Now then, when your brother was delivered into your hands on that dark and stormy night, he turned back to the carriage in which he had come and said something to the man inside. Do you remember what it was? Certainly, responded Mr. Webb. He said goodbye, Larry, and God bless you. Well, commented the head waiter, with a tender light kindling in his eyes, my name is Lawrence McCarthy, and the chosen few of the men of this world whom God permits to love me call me Larry. Again, Mr. Webb walked across the room and then reseated himself. Of course you know that this information you have given me completely ties my hands. Excuse me, sir, said Captain McCarthy with stern emphasis. We are not children. I gave you the information because your brother Martin is a very dear friend of mine, and I am trying to give you an opportunity to withdraw from your pursuit of a poor old serving man and direct it toward those who are worthier of your attention. You owe me no gratitude, and I do not propose for you to go away from here, if you go at all, under any fancied obligation to me. What I did or tried to do for your brother was for his sake alone, and the course I propose to take with you is for his sake and not for yours. But make no mistake about it, I am under no obligations to him, nor he to me. In the course of providence it happens that his name is written on the tablets of my friendship, and there it will remain. This, of course, tended to throw Mr. Webb back on his personal dignity. My duty, he began, but Captain McCarthy interrupted him. Pardon me, I am not discussing duty. The pursuit of that lies between each individual and his conscience. What I propose to do, if I can get your consent, is to provide for my own safety by providing for yours. You think I am in your power, then, suggested Mr. Webb as completely so as if I had you surrounded with a regiment of men. Not only that, you will be in my power should you leave this house and return to Washington. Am I free to ask an explanation? remarked Webb, with a touch of sarcasm in his tone. That shall be forthcoming whether you ask it or not, was the response. Captain McCarthy went to his desk and produced a copy of the Herald of the day before. Did you, by any chance, see this advertisement in the Herald? It was printed again today. He indicated with his forefinger the personal which has already been given. Mr. Webb read the notice and turned to McCarthy with an expression of perplexity in his face. Who could have sent that? It was sent by a person who is unknown to you. You will observe that he not only announces your coming, but gives your name and that of your companion. But no one knew the errand we were coming on, protested Mr. Webb. Nevertheless, the person who sent that advertisement to the Herald knew remarked the head waiter with a smile. But I have shown you the notice merely to convince you that your movements are perfectly well known to the person who wrote that warning. It may interest you to know that this man has in his hands absolute proofs of your complicity in the escape of your brother. He has affidavits from two men whom you employed to aid you. Well, to what end are you telling me all this? asked Mr. Webb, drawing himself up. Does it not occur to you? Your safety is involved in your silence with respect to me. I suggest that you impart to no one the information you have received from this man Doyle, it is there on my desk, and that you personally refrain from moving against me. All things considered, it is not an immodest nor a sweeping request. Fly at whom you please, but leave me alone. Permit an old serving man to indulge his whims in peace. Mr. Webb laughed with genuine amusement. Whatever you are, he said, you are no serving man. You may be a preacher or an actor, but you are not now and never have been a head waiter. Captain McCarthy smiled. 
That is a queer statement to make when your own eyes have been witness to the fact that I performed my duties in the hotel to the best of my poor ability. You place your demand, that is what it amounts to, in the shape of a suggestion. If you are as powerful here as you say you are, why not exact pledges? My dear sir, exclaimed Captain McCarthy, I wouldn't give a bad shilling for a mountain of pledges secured by compulsion. You have reflected, of course, that I have made no request of your late companion, the man Doyle. I have disposed of him without even having seen his face. Well, where is Doyle? asked Mr. Webb, betraying some excitement. He was surprised that his companion's continued absence had not disturbed him. The case of Mr. Doyle is a very interesting one, Captain McCarthy explained. He has been eating the bread of the Confederate government with his mouth and conspiring against it with his head and his hands. Others have been using the United States government in the same way, retorted Webb. That may be so, but the practice of what is wrong in principle does not make it right. Mr. Doyle accepted an important office under the Confederate government. Was the oath he took when he received his commission a mere formality? More than that, he suggested the kidnapping of President Lincoln to a lad, a mere boy, and then did his utmost to lead this lad to his destruction. The youngster, being strangely modest and tractable for one of his temper and training, submitted himself to the will of an older and a wiser head, and so escaped. But Mr. Doyle will not escape. You may depend upon that. Is he in the next room? asked Webb. Let us see, replied Captain McCarthy. He led the way to the door by which Doyle had passed and opened it. There was another door immediately beyond it, which Webb rightly judged led into the adjoining tenement. Captain McCarthy opened this second door, and Webb saw that the room was empty. He called aloud. Doyle! Doyle! Phil! His voice rang strangely in the chamber, which, but for some loose litter on the floor, was entirely empty. Webb turned to Captain McCarthy. Man, you'll have to answer for this. Possibly. But you may be sure that Doyle is on the way to answer for his transactions. But why do you dispose of Doyle and make propositions to me? asked Webb. Suggestions, not propositions, corrected Captain McCarthy. The real reason is, as I have told you, Providence has been kind enough to give you a brother whose qualities have endeared him to me. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you insist on putting yourself in the same category with this man Doyle? Mr. Webb did not reply to the question. He sat silent a long time, and McCarthy was careful not to interrupt his reflection with idle conversation. I think I'll take that glass of wine now, he said, after a while. The wine was soon forthcoming, and as they sipped it slowly, McCarthy spoke. What are your conclusions? I mean, what course do you intend to pursue with respect to me? I think, replied Webb with a friendly twinkle in his eye, that it is I who should ask that question. Well, sir, you have a brother whose friendship I am permitted to enjoy, and you have drunk of my wine. Under the circumstances, you will go forth from this house as free as a bird on the wing. I think that will be best for both of us, remarked Mr. Webb. I have made up my mind to resign. Captain McCarthy held his glass of wine between his eyes and the light and watched the bubbles die out on the amber-colored fluid. Your decision is a wise one, he said after a while. The unquestionable talent you have displayed in certain details of this business in which you are engaged would be of great service to you in the management of a railway line. And I think, I'm not certain, but I think, I have a friend who can give you a good excuse for sending in your resignation. 
Now, said Mr. Webb, as my cab is gone, you will have to show me the way out of this Brooklyn jungle. I propose to go with you, Captain McCarthy declared. He opened the door by which he had first entered the room and spoke to someone who was apparently waiting there. Terence, my lad, tell Barney to bring the carriage around. The rest of you may go now. There was a shuffling of feet and then silence. Presently Terence reported that the carriage was ready. Barney raised his hat as the captain saluted him. We want to get back as quickly as possible, Barney, suggested McCarthy. I'll take you by a shorter cut, sore than Mike fetch the gentleman, replied Barney with a grin. Near Wall Street, McCarthy and Webb entered a banking house which has since made a great name in the financial world. At that particular time, the firm was very much in need of a trustworthy man to look after its interests in the management of an important railway line. The firm had endorsed the bonds of the road, and there was reason to suspect that there had been sharp practice on the part of the local managers. What claim Captain McCarthy had on these bankers, or what connection he had with them, was not clear to Mr. Webb, but his influence with the firm was due to the fact that he had rescued from a southern prison, by perfectly legitimate methods, the son of one of the members of the firm. As the result of that piece of work, Mr. Webb secured a position from which he climbed, step by step, into the management of the road and its later acquisitions. End of section 12